Welcome to episode 171 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, this week we have a special guest, a returning guest, uh, Sam Gash. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having Ooh, me back. Sam. Yeah, you you were uh, last the audience on... is going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> We got a studio audience just for you, Sam. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. That is not good. I mean, to be fair, it's not just for you. Cameron just always keeps a studio audience in his apartment so he can perpetually feel like he's living on a 90s sitcom. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you need it sometimes. Yeah. It really boosts the mood when you, like, just do a quick, like, trip. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, half the, like, half the audience is really laughing and funny, and the other half is, like, very concerned. It's like, is he okay? <laughs> They get to experience all your emotions, but bigger. It helps me know how I should be feeling, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> so- sometimes it's confusing. Like, was d- am I getting the right read off of that? Oh, nope. Turns out I am. Audience agrees. Yeah. Am I feeling some sexual tension here? There's a lot of wooing, Ooh. so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> they are Cameron's emotional roadmap. Yes. But yeah, Sam, so you were last on for Almost Got Him, a fact that you had to remind me of last time I was on your show. That is not the last time I was on. That was not the last time you were on? <laughs> Fucking hell. That was the first time I was on. What was that? I was on for the Mr. Mixius Pitalik. That's uh, it. That's God right. damn it. <laughs> I say this all the time. I forget these episodes as soon as I'm done with them. I legitimately do. And I, I even have like a spreadsheet that I keep tabs on this. And I'm like, I don't need to go double check. I know he was on for Almost Got Him. Yeah, that I was. That's true. <laughs> well, but then... <laughs> Well, welcome back. Thanks. I swear your appearances are far more special and memorable than it makes it sound. Uh, <laughs> we always, always love having you on. And, um, you know, of course, I've been lucky enough to be a guest on your show a few times. And uh, I guess for those of you who don't know, why don't you uh, talk about your podcast real quick? Because it's uh, super, super fun. So my show is called Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. So it's taking movies that either likely are going to be remade and how can we best do that or movies that have been or honestly should be remade and like being like, all right, what's the best way we can do this? What's the most modern way we can kind of capture the magic of the original or pick up the pieces of what sh- the original should have been? Um, or in some cases we'll do a deep dive into like what, what would be the ideal next piece of a franchise. So Chris, you were on to come up with like the next Superman movie, but I think we ended up coming up with the Superman trilogy. Yes. Yeah. We came up with a whole reboot trilogy. And then we, it, to celebrate your love of James Bond, we Mm -hmm. also kind of came up with an ideal James Bond movie based kind of off of from Russia with love. Oh, and I a lot of bit of Casino Royale. Yeah, I still want to see that movie. And then <laughs> most recently you were on to remake uh, The Avengers. Yes, the, the weird 1960s TV show slash or like late 90s action movie, not the Marvel version everyone knows. Yeah, you know, The Avengers with the Ray Avengers. Fiennes and Uma Thurman, everyone's favorite Avengers. But Cameron, the offer is always open. You're always welcome to come on and talk about a movie or something that you want um, to yeah, remake. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something... I was trying to think of like something quippy right now, but my brain is already fried. Before I think we the original pitch I emailed you was, do you want to come on and remake Tomorrowland? Oh God, you did. I, I spent a good while thinking of a, a Tomorrowland remake and I still can't figure it out. 
Well, that's why you go on the show is you guys figure it out together. Yeah, yes. like I don't expect people to come in with like the entire thing fleshed out beforehand. If they do, great, much easier for me. But the number of times that happens is minimal. Mm-hmm. And you, you've done a couple of Disney movies, too. Yeah, so actually the episode that just dropped uh, this past week uh, is we did a live-action remake of Nightmare Before Christmas, and then oh, we I've also done a live-action remake of Treasure Planet. Oh, so just Treasure Island again. Yeah, but in space. <laughs> yeah, so Treasure Planet. Yeah, exactly that. But yeah, like, you know, I definitely want to spend more time this episode talking about the actual point of the podcast, the, the cartoon episodes we're here to talk How about. How you know, dare you? <laughs> That's not why I'm here. We haven't done this in years. <laughs> like, Sam, you flagged this episode, like, right at the beginning as one you wanted to, to be on. So obviously, like, it means a lot to you, and I want to get into that. So I think... We are uh, going to forego a normal news section in favor of being able to spend more time uh, talking about that. Um, but uh, two things I do want to mention kind of right up at the, the top here. Uh, the first of which is this episode will be coming out on the election on November 3rd. Um, I <laughs> suspect that even our international listeners are kind of uh, a little more aware of this than normal. Um, just because this time around, uh, the stakes are pretty damn high. Um, and I was planning on originally waiting to the end, but um, I'll talk about this. But I recognize that we probably have people listening who might be waiting in line to go vote or who are driving to go drop off their ballot or who are just looking for a little bit of a, a distraction while they're waiting for the results to come in. And so uh, I figured it'd be better to talk about it at the top. Uh, Cameron just showed us his Hamilton I Voted sticker, which is fantastic. Yeah. I went to the Pantages. You went to the Pantages? Yeah. Very, very proud of you, Cameron. For there was nobody that. there. <laughs> oh, well, good. I mean, that's kind of what you would you would hope for, um, all things considered. But, yeah, you know, so I just kind of want to, like, uh, you know, just acknowledge this up at the top. Obviously, like, this isn't the purview of the show. We're not a political podcast. Um, but, like I said, the stakes are pretty high this time. And so it's worth taking a moment just to acknowledge what's going on. And uh, the reality is, like, this is no longer about politics because politicians have decided that it's far easier to regulate people than it is to enact policy. Um, so for a lot of us, like, this is ultimately more than an election. It's kind of a referendum on our own future. And a lot of people, myself included, uh, are afraid of being either, like, further marginalized and uh, treated with inequality um, at the hands of our own government. We're worried about further insults and degradation and things that we'll have to endure from a population and political base that refuses to recognize your humanity. And we worry that hatred and discrimination will continue to hold a greater legal authority than the right to live and to love who we want. Um, we worry that more people will die or be imprisoned because of the color of skin. And on top of all that, we worry about how much more abuse our planet can take for it can no longer sustain us. So for a lot of us, these worries are very real, but they're also falling on deaf ears of friends or family who go through some combination of cognitive dissonance or willful ignorance or just plain stubbornness and just don't see these threats as real. And to not be seen and not be heard by people is one of the greatest pains we can possibly go through. So just know that if you're listening to this and you're one of those people that doesn't feel seen or heard and who feels alone, just know that we understand what you're going through. We understand your fear. We recognize the truth of them. We've 
probably never met or never even spoken. Um, but you know, we are feeling what you're feeling. We believe you. You are not alone. And you know, in the knowledge that you're not alone, there is some hope out there. And if you're someone who just doesn't understand why this matters so much, if you're wondering why people are taking this so seriously, if you're wondering why we're talking about this on a podcast about old superhero cartoons, uh, I just implore you to ask questions. Like, ask someone why they're scared right now. Ask with openness, with sincerity, with genuine curiosity. Uh, ask with the intent to recognize the truth of another person's reality, because through asking those kind of questions and challenging your own perspective, uh, that is where you know hope lies. That is where we can grow and learn and hopefully move forward. So if you are listening to this and you are at some point in the voting process, either, like I said, waiting in line or driving to drop off your ballot, just want to say thank you for doing what you can to try to make the world a better place. Um, if you're listening to this after the election has happened, I hope that things are looking a little bit brighter and this just sounds like the semi-coherent ramblings of a man under the strain of pre-election anxiety. Uh, but, you know, if you're listening to this and things seem a little bit darker, just remember that you're not alone. There is always hope to be found. And if there is one thing we can do on this podcast other than offer some light distraction, it's to try and offer a little bit of hope and positivity for the world. So wanted to get that out there before we got things started. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add to that, but... That was, that was very well said. I, I would have my audience kind of queue up and give you an applause, but they have all actually just left to go vote. Oh, so good. <laughs> maybe they'll be back by the end of the podcast. <laughs> they're they're going to go off and uh, be the canned audience for everyone at the polling booth, which yes. is awesome. So, um, But yeah, thanks, guys, for letting me uh, indulge in that a little bit. And I swear to God, we will eventually actually talk about what we're here to talk about, the positive things. Um, there's one other thing which I wanted to acknowledge, which was, of course, over the weekend, the passing of Sir Sean Connery, which uh, for anyone who's listened to this knows that I'm a huge, huge James Bond fan. I mean, Sam, you brought it up right at the top of the show. I came on to talk about James Bond. And uh, this one definitely stung a lot for me, just being um, a, a, a huge fan of that franchise. And it's meant a lot to me growing up and has, I like to think for better or not worse, shaped who I am. Uh, <laughs> Who knows? I mean, um, you were just a, a raging womanizer. And I can say that is probably yes. from James Bond. Yes, that is absolutely true. You refuse to drink <laughs> anything without first shaking it? Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. You know, I'm sitting here at uh, 10 a.m. on a Sunday drinking a martini, obviously, in a full suit. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Every car you see either has a turret gun or explodes. <laughs> I do have stinger missiles behind my headlights. So. Yeah. <laughs> It makes perfect sense. Um, but no, this this definitely stung a lot. Like at a, at a time where we're getting a lot of bad news for me personally, this was, uh, you know, quite the loss. And I, I, I wrote a tribute to him up on my Instagram and Facebook. So you guys can find that there. Um, but, you know, just wanted to acknowledge here that it is, you know, really sad. And he was yeah, kind of a problematic figure in a lot of ways. I think we can say that his attitude towards women is as problematic as the franchise itself can be at times. Um, you know, and that's definitely worth acknowledging. But for me also, like, just the, the legacy left behind of those films would never have happened uh, without him. And, you know, they've meant a lot to me. And, uh, no, it was, it was really, really sad to hear that news. I don't know if you guys uh, were as affected by that or not as I was. but I was affected through you. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where, like, I know how much he means to you. And I know how much he means to, to our friend group. And so yeah. while I personally... You know, he, he died in his sleep in the Bahamas 
Sounds like a pretty nice way to go. <laughs> I understand that it's still not a, a great situation. Uh, not a bad way to go. And, you know, he, he in a lot of ways is lucky that he gets to leave behind a legacy that I think few other people will ever have. Beyond James Bond, of course, you know, he was great as Henry Jones Sr. in The Last Crusade. And he's amazing in The Hunt for Red October. and Highlander. You know, the, the Rock. Highlander. Highlander too. The <laughs> Avengers. The Aven- yes, The <laughs> Avengers, of course. I don't, yeah, I guess Sam Sean Connery uh, occupies a lot of space in our friendship, doesn't he? <laughs> it, yeah, it might. Yeah, <laughs> in a weirdly unexpected way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, like the the legacy of films he got to leave behind, the legacy of characters, um, you know, is absolutely incredible. And uh, you know, it's it's great that you know someone who's been gone from the public eye for so long and, and left on a low note with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Sam, a movie I would love to come on and talk about at some point. <laughs> it has been earmarked for you. I, ha- I had uh, another guest say, hey, can we do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I'm saying, I'm sorry, I've already reserved that uh, for, for Chris. Thank You're you. You're going to have to talk about Catwoman. Okay, P- perfect. And she oh, did. No. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, God. Sean Connery's a real loss. I don't know where SNL Celebrity Jeopardy would be without him. Oh, my God, yes. That yeah, is very true. Totally neglecting that. Probably one of the greatest things to ever come out of Saturday Night Live was Daryl Hammond's uh, Sean Connery impression. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely something I'll be watching this week to, uh, you know, um, alleviate the pain. But, uh, yeah, just wanted to acknowledge uh, the sad passing. So rest in peace, Sir Sean. Okay, and as I promised, we'll actually talk about the episodes now. <laughs> I'm done. Speaking of legends. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Just waiting Get for it, Chris. It's so it was set up so easily, Chris. <laughs> this was, I was your leaving moment. It for you. I was leaving it for you, Cameron. <laughs> to swoop in with that beautiful, beautiful segue. Uh, but yeah, we are talking about the Justice League two-parter of Legends uh, this week. One episode that I say is considered by most people to be one of the best of the whole series. Is it? I don't know. I guess that sounded like a question in my head. <laughs> I would say I enjoy yes, it. I loved this episode. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, normally we kind of like, we'll I'll set up what's happening in the first part and then we'll, we'll kind of talk through it and then, you know, talk about the cliffhanger and then set up what's happening in the second part. I think for this episode, it's worth just kind of doing a, a summary of the whole thing, acknowledging the, the big twist in there so we can kind of really get into the meat of what makes this episode so interesting. And of course, Sam, why you want to come on and talk about it. So in this one, we see uh, the Justice League go up against Lex Luthor in his amazing, like, big-ass mech suit. And when the Flash's powers interact with the robot's power core, he, Hawkgirl, Green Lantern, and Martian Manhunter are transported to a peril dimension in an idyllic 1950s town called Seaboard City, which has its own superhero team, the Justice Guild, uh, very much in the vein of the Justice Society of America from DC Comics. Uh, and Green Lantern quickly realizes that he recognizes the Justice Guild as heroes from comic books he read as a kid. Um, and so the two hero teams join forces to take on the nefarious uh, Injustice Guild. But the League starts to realize that the town has a dark secret. And so as Green Lantern and Hawkgirl investigate, um, they come across a series of graves revealing the, uh, the death somehow of the very Justice Guild members they've been working with. 
Um, and as they discover more mysteries, like a, a milkman too terrified to answer questions, or a library full of empty books and signs of a massive disaster, um, including a headline declaring the Justice Guild dead, they eventually uncover the truth that the uh, young sidekick of the Justice Guild, Ray Thompson, was horribly mutated by nuclear fallout and now is this really grotesque psionic monster who has recreated uh, his town from his childhood and brought his heroes back to life. It's trippy as fuck, <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> to I, put it I've been thinking about. I, I've been thinking about the character of Ray, mm-hmm. and his like his power is nostalgia. It is is telepathic <laughs> nostalgia. Like what 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 would our generation's Ray be? It would just be like a kid with all the snacks everywhere, right? It would just be like um, a, a <laughs> tower of Dunkaroos. Cameron, I don't want you to take this too personally, but I think the modern version of Ray would just be you. <laughs> if I had that power, it would be a very dark <laughs> reality. I think if you had that power, uh, not only would the whole world be a 90s sitcom, but it would be a 90s sitcom where the main characters are constantly having to participate in 90s game shows as well. Yeah, game shows, trivia, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound horrible, actually. It's going to be very unhealthy <laughs> with the, the slip and slide of, of Lunchables. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody, yeah, so many Lunchables, as you mentioned. Uh, Dungaroos. I, and what, Dunkaroos. We'll have, what, we'll have like, what happened um, to those? I'm always a little bit worried when, like, food products disappear. You, you kind of think, like, maybe this was just because they weren't popular enough to keep selling. But part of you wonders, like, did they discover something horrible about this? And that's why it's no longer on shelves. I remember I was on a road both. trip 10 years after I'd, ever, I'd seen my last Dunkaroo, and we stopped at a random, like, 7-Eleven or something. I think yeah. we were in, like, New Brunswick or something. Uh-huh. And I walked in, and there was a box of Dunkaroos. And I was like, I wanted to buy it so bad, but in my head I was like, this thing is definitely 10 years old, and if you eat it, you will die. It is a cursed <laughs> <Yes>. item. <laughs> you should not own this. Yeah, did you, did you look at the expiration date just to check? I didn't. I should have, should have, but I didn't. I mean, I don't but, know how many chemicals have expiration dates. I mean, that's the thing about sugar. that Like, sugar doesn't spoil. As long as you don't get it wet, it will last forever. Yeah. And if you have a product yeah. that is pure sugar. sugar nothing. <laughs> it is just sugar dipped in sugar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's honestly a wonder we survived, uh, like, the food and toys of our childhood. But no, Cameron, like, you're absolutely right. Like, they, like, Ray's power is just nostalgia. And also, I think it's very fitting. I don't know if you guys caught this. Uh, did you see who voices Ray in this episode? No. Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris himself. Wow. Um, which, yeah. if you think about this, so this came out, this was made in, what, 2002. So, I mean, this was before, like, his resurgence on How I Met Your Mother um, I guess this may have been what, around the same time as Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, but like this was definitely a Neil Patrick Harris who like hadn't found a new foothold in the zeitgeist, and so it was definitely like you know a deliberate casting to play up that nostalgia element. But so like you know, I think there are so many like fun things about this episode. One of which is, of course, like we get this completely original, original in quotes, you know, superhero team of the Justice Guild, who I guess the writers wanted it to be the JSA, but they were told no. And so they just came up with, like, proxies of all of them. 
But, you know, this is basically the closest we get to having the JSA in this universe. And I thought they did, like, a really good job of making those characters feel, like, appropriately old-fashioned. Um, I loved it. Yeah, I, I, I love this. Like, especially because my first introduction to superheroes in general was Super Friends. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was a super mm-hmm. little kid, I grew up watching Super Friends, like, before Batman the Animated Series or any of that came along. And I just remember, like, this just... It kind of hits all those buttons, and it's wonderful. I mean, is that like you know one of the reasons why this was an episode you were super excited to come on for was because it it you know hits that button of remembering the Super Friends? Like, what about this episode was you know so uh, stand out for you, Sam? I mean, I like all fans of things enjoy crossovers uh, <laughs> of, of one thing or another. Like, even when I came on for Almost Gotham, it's just like, oh, it's all the villains hanging out, or oh, look at all these mm-hmm. heroes hanging out. Like the uh, the, the the Batman Beyond episode that, that I'd really enjoyed had been this uh, had been the crossover with like oh the Super Justice like the Future Justice League which I'd really liked and like those are the things that I always like I'm always like ooh like expanded universe that's why mm, Justice League okay. Unlimited is like for me like even beyond the fact that it's the pinnacle of the pinnacle of like this whole like series of Bruce Tim shows mm-hmm. like I love it because I'm like I just get to see like all these because I'm not a comic book reader. There's such deep lore there that I can't. Oh. But, like, I love hearing about all these different crazy people who are like, no, you don't understand. They're called Hawk and Dove. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and so I just, I've always loved that. And just getting these little tastes of everything mm-hmm. is so much fun. And just, like, and, and even more so with this one, just, like, the clash of styles. Oh, is, okay wonderful for me because it's also like a little bit of meta referential where the flash goes over it's like i almost lost it when they did that introduction thing oh my god oh because yeah they they are so cheesy you know like i didn't really watch the super friends growing up but i watched you know the the 1960s batman movie like on repeat and you know a handful of the episodes here and there and i think this episode's definitely playing up that sort of like cheesy hammed up like you know everything is like upbeat and bright and positive take on things and it's it's just fun, and it's fun to see it kind of dropped into this universe, which I think otherwise does a really good job towing that line between, like, light and fun and bright, but also, like, dark and real. And so, you know, to put them up against these characters that are are just so, just over the top. Like, they have plastic, you know, Justice Guild rings. <laughs> you know, they have a roll call. You know, they make Black Siren do all of the domestic work. Like, it's it's so of a very specific time, and to see everyone else, like, comment on it. Like, I love, her, like, how much Hot Girl hates being there. She's like, <laughs> I am not going to go get dessert. Do not make me do this. <laughs> well, because isn't that the original League, if I remember correctly, Wonder Woman wasn't a member. She was, like, the assistant to the group. Oh, my God. I, what? That... Is it, probably I, I might true. Be, I might be misremembering this for a different. It might not be the Justice League, but there was definitely a, it's either the League or Society where like the female members weren't technically members yet. They were like associates slash assistants, and they were just there to kind of do the other work. Oh <laughs> my god! I wow. I can absolutely believe that was a true thing. You know, it, it's they do a good job, like referencing that that was a thing and then having you know hawker especially like you know i will not be patronized like this is bullshit like she's probably the toughest one amongst that entire group of people like and she's definitely the person you'll be like hey like 
you want to go bake some cupcakes? She'd be like, fuck no. I want to go hit someone with a mace. Why would you make me do this? <laughs> and, like, there's that moment where uh, Green Lantern, like, just has stars. It's like, I'm getting to meet my heroes. I'm getting to meet my heroes. You're a credit to your people. All right, this is fun. And this was fun, and it's over now. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, um, great. Thanks. I know that was meant to be a compliment, but what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, I was, I was going to say, I... I I think it was Key and Peele that did the the bit. If not them, it was it was two other YouTubers that have the great bit of the the two science to the the two black scientists that discover a um, had a time travel and like oh man we can go to like the sixties and like mm, mm. maybe not the sixties like oh let's yeah. go to like the to like the twenties and thirties and we'll like relive the jazz era. It's like, mm. I don't think that that's going to be very good for us either. It's like, okay, what about like the revolutionary time? We can fight alongside George Washington. It's like, mm, no. No, I don't. I, I think we should just kind of leave this where it is. <laughs> Go do something else. God, that that is absolutely brilliant. And yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. We we definitely see that play out here because you know, like the this town they're in is just like you know one to bread central. Like even to the point of having like the guy driving around the ice cream truck all day long, and you know the the super genial police officers like they're over the top Irish accents who are completely useless and just phone up the Justice Guild to get to do you know work for them. It's all this like very, um, you know, like idyllic space. So of course it makes sense. Like the reveal is that it's all just, you know, some kid's illusion. Cause like none of this would even be realistic ever. That said, one of my favorite moments in this episode, having rewatched it, cause I, I actually rewatched this episode six months ago, these episodes six months ago oh, as okay. uh, research for a movie I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but the, there's that there's a moment that I caught at the very, very end where so the the police officer who talks is like the oh I'm super Irish and oh yeah. Like, and then like there's that moment at the end where he just leans in and goes, Hey, thanks for helping us out. Yeah. No accent at all. <laughs> and I'll, and I just I lost it. So it's just like even if this world may or may not have been like that. The kid was like that. The kid yes. was a racist little the, piece of shit. Say, the kid was the racist one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, look at that kid. Are we are we that surprised? You know, anyone who wears like that, you know, uh, a sweater vest like that, you got to be a little bit suspicious of. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. Was he actually the league's assistant or was he just some kid who looked up to them and made himself like kind of slotted himself oh. into this life when he recreated it? Because... I don't think he, like, like John, uh, uh, Martian Manhunter goes, yeah, we really shouldn't put a kid in harm's way. Come on, kid. <laughs> Come on, Ray. Hop yeah. in the shotgun. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I don't think they ever acknowledge whether he was their sidekick as a kid, do they? I, I would imagine that that was part of his fantasy, because that is the easiest way for him to be in the action at all times. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so like you think that he was just some kid that got, you know, hit by the nuclear fallout and mutated. Like, he in the original continuity, he wasn't part of the, the Justice Guild? Is that, like, you guys' Yeah, I mean, he might have been theory? in the city. He, he, he has a similar look to, like, a young Jimmy. Yeah. It's so like, maybe he was kind of in that kind of role. Maybe he was, like, a photographer and just really loved the group. Uh, but I think, I think the rings specifically show that he wasn't an official member because the rings are the plastic toy rings still. Oh, oh, that's a really clever point. Yeah, that if, you know, he would have imagined it as the actual proper rings, not like the ones you could get if you were a fan. 
Yeah, he's mm-hmm. basically Syndrome if Syndrome hadn't been completely disillusioned by actually meeting his heroes. Oh my god. Man, you guys are right. This actually just got so much darker now when you look at it from that context. Like, I'd always just yeah. assumed he was always their sidekick. He was like the one person that survived the team. And so he brought them back. But you're right. Like, he probably had nothing to do with them, which makes this whole thing that much sadder. Oh god. Just a racist syndrome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't I mean, get much worse than that. No. <laughs> But, you know, like, I, I think one of the, the fun things that happens here is not only do we get the, the Justice Society proxies, but we also get, like, the, the Injustice Society proxies. We get, you know, the Injustice Guild who goes up to fight them. And so, and, you know, they're all characters based off of, you know, other comic heroes. So you have, like, uh, Sir Swami, who's supposed to be, I guess, like, the wizard. Dr. Blizzard's the icicle. You have the sportsman who is, you know, basically the, the sports master, but also played by Bob Hope. Which that was a very, <laughs> very specific character choice. That I, he's I, also drawn to look like Bob Hope. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, he's not—he's not voiced by Bob Hope. Um, I think he's actually voiced by—I want to say Michael McKean, maybe. I'll have to look at that. When did this air? Late nineties. Two thousand two. Two thousand two. Yeah, Bob Hope passed away in nineteen ninety nine, didn't he? I maybe. I'm gonna be honest. I don't—I don't know that much about Bob Hope. Just enough to know that I recognized him when there was like a characterization of him. And even then, I only know what he looks like because he recently was a guest star on a very old episode of The Golden Girls that I watched. So. Oh, no, I'm wrong. He, he died in 2003. Okay, so okay. It's women like right after this. Um, but I don't know. That was an interesting choice. Like, hey, let's make like the sports master uh, Bob Hope. Um, and then my favorite of them, of course, was the music master, who I guess is based off of the Fiddler, who's a DC Comics villain mm-hmm. who uses a violin. I thought, oh, well, isn't he... Not- the music meister? Well, music meister is an actual villain. I thought that. And I'm like, well, it's clearly the music meister, right? I didn't realize the music meister was created for Batman Brave and the Bolt. He's actually a fairly oh. new comic creation. Oh, no creation. way. Yeah. And then I, he, who is also voiced by Neil Patrick Harris. Who's also voiced by Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they, they created him for the show. And then, you know, like, that's, I think, I think it's fair to say one of the best episodes of Brave and the Bold, and he was like a pretty popular character. So then he started getting introduced in the comics and on the, like, the CW Arrowverse and stuff like that. But yeah, I was shocked to realize that, that he is not a, an original villain. He, um, huh. you know, he was created for the show years after this. That's, That's fascinating. Wild. I know. Yeah. What a great character. I, I yeah. love his, his intro. And when we first meet music master is he's stealing a Stradivarius, which mm-hmm. is a very, very fancy violin from what looks like a guitar center. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that is so just like, so comic like 60s comic i love it so much yes they kept doing that too like when uh sportsman is stealing ah the trophy for the tennis clay courts championship the perfect earth crime (laughs) to make me filthy rich (laughs) and it's like what who would you sell that to that's like a five dollar trophy the they do such a good job in this episode with like super corny 50s 60s dialogue like one of my favorite lines is when they're talking about the Injustice Guild. And uh, I think it's Tom Turbine goes, I doubt there's enough good between the four of them to help a wounded puppy. Yep. And I'm like, that is <laughs> so, so such a beautiful line. Well, plus, yeah. we, we can't ignore the fact that this episode is packed with puns. Yeah. Oh, man. Flash <laughs> so... was in his element. Yeah. <laughs> Flash Flash was loving this. He finally got to be around other superheroes who are even cornier than he is. Yeah, he, he has like a full-on pun-off with, uh, was it Dr. Blizzard, that just 
just just gets worse and worse as you go along. And I, I was, as a, a, a big fan of puns, I was absolutely <laughs> living for it. <laughs> oh. and, and they were obviously like very uh, like forced at times, which made it even better. My favorite is uh, Dr. Blizzard referring to taking off with his chill-gotten gains. Yes, that, <laughs> that was the worst one. That was one. a really good one. Chef's kiss. <laughs> perfection the worse the pun the better yeah. it is the the dolphin fountain which also super <laughs> resellable i know yeah yes. but like the the ridiculousness of all of it you know definitely feeds into the idea that it's all in a kid's head right mm-hmm. it's like you know even the 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 normal universe of the dcau can be a little bit silly and ridiculous at times you know uh, there's a lot of stuff in superman a lot of stuff in batman animated series all of zeta that we can point to <laughs> to point that out but the fact that here it's like it is like silly to the point of being like completely absurd and improbable like yeah who's gonna steal a fountain who's gonna steal this you know clay trophies who could thing? possibly steal the grand canyon yes exactly <laughs> You know, and who's going to try and get away in a blimp? The most conspicuous vehicle possible. <laughs> and also not known and for their speed. No. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, they're so slow. Yes. <laughs> but they have they had a twist. They had they attached what Black Siren and Flash to the outside, so they can't just mm-hmm. pop the blimp, which is how <laughs> they end up getting out as Flash just pops the blimp. Which, I, like, if they were going to pop the blimp, were they just going to kill the villains? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. No further questions. Yeah. yeah. There, there is a lot of very, like, uh, um, passive attempted murder by heroes in the DCAU is what we've discovered. <laughs> um, Terry McGinnis being maybe the most egregious offender of them all, who is constantly doing things that should kill his villains. Oh, here's a thought I didn't think about for, for, for Terry in a, in, a semi, in a semi-hopeful future. Maybe in this version of Gotham... There's free health care. So we can go a little bit crazier than Batman can normally go. You know, Cameron, normally I would say that's ridiculous to think that the bleak future of Gotham City could have something as progressive as universal health care, but that I remember the world we live in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very possible in that universe. Uh, sadly. Um, but yeah, I, I love that when they, because they do at one point capture the Flash and Siren, and they, yeah, they, they tie them to outside the balloon, that the Flash, who I think, I'm pretty sure in this universe can like vibrate himself so he can phase through things, rather than phasing mm-hmm. through the cords, literally just pokes the balloon with the pointy ears on his costume. After a bunch yeah. of other stuff happened. Yeah, after, after struggling they, for a while. They've been on that thing for at least, what, a good 15, 20 minutes of action that we've seen on screen, plus the, I don't know, maybe half hour, hour of the heist, plus however long it took them to get there from wherever the villain's hideout is. Like, they've been on that uh-huh. thing for two, three hours, probably. I like to think he just forgot he had those. Yeah. I, I think, so here, here's my idea about being on the blimp. The Flash has to impress Black Siren while he's there. <laughs> that is his, his first and foremost goal is impress the girl, second is catch the villains. <laughs> while they're in the air there's nothing you can really do that's cool mm-hmm. to impress her except like fall if he vibrates out of them yeah so he can't just use his his good old trick he has to he has to be creative and think of some other way to still be with her 
still look cool and still save the day. And so what does he do? He pops the balloon and kills his villains. <laughs> he waits for his opening to just be super nonchalant and chill. It's like, pop. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, he also has to wait for all the other heroes to fail. That's so true. So that he gets to be the one. He gets to be the, the end-all, be-all. Like, this is my decision now. <laughs> I like it. It, yeah, it, it was it was fun to see him to get to be in his element a little bit. Um, Cameron, were you finally excited to see a Green Lantern type character who made constructs? Holy shit, Chris! It was so <laughs> wonderful. We got a catcher's mitt. Mm-hmm. We got a another catcher's mitt. They reused a lot of animation <laughs> on that one. <laughs> we got a third catcher's mitt. We got a birdcage. We, we got a bird an cage. anvil. We got an arrow. Yes. Yes, the classic cartoon trope of the anvil. That said, because yeah. I also listen uh, to your show, and, and Cameron, I've been hearing all of your, like, uh, upsetness. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with the lack of, um, what's the word? Uh, constructs. constructs. Constructs, thank you. And you keep talking about how Green Lantern is an architect, but also he's an architect, so he's going to be all about efficiency of design. And I don't know if a bird cage, an anvil, and an arrow are the most efficient designs when literally a bubble, a wall, and a beam are the most efficient designs. <laughs> yes, no, I get that. I, someone someone else has brought that up to me, and I frustratingly oh, have to agree with that. Um, I, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but, I mean, like, the whole point of him being an architect in the comics at least, is he has the strongest constructs of any Green Lantern because he thinks about them inside out. So they're not just like hollow designs. They mm-hmm. have substance and they will like actually stick when you make them compared to Kyle. Well, I do who does know the... that there is a future episode in this series where he makes constructs, but I know you don't do like future tells. But I know that he's going to do it. Okay. I'll be, I'll be ready for that, for that moment. Yeah. You've given us something to look forward to. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. It is genuinely everything you wanted. Also, Sam, for many reasons, I'm glad you're here, but particular that you would point this out to Cameron, the fact that, uh, you know, the making constructs would not be efficient for Jon Stewart. Cause I feel like if I were to do that, Cameron would immediately dismiss me, but he at least (laughs) listened to you and agreed with you for a little bit. I think it also helps that I was the second person to say it. That I guess yeah, so. so yeah. Someone else has brought this up to me before, and I'm just like, I, uh, I know, I know, but that's <laughs> not the point of being a Green Lantern. I mean, a Green Lantern is also, like, of this group, the one that I would want to be, because you get to have fun making stuff. Like, it's, it's yeah. the ultimate creative expression. Yeah. It is. I, I will, as, as someone who's in the midst of creative burnout right now, I will also argue the counterpoint of that. Like you always have to be thinking of something and like, I might be in a fight and it's like, fuck, like what, what, like, what do I use to catch people? Like, holy shit. Like, I can't think of the word. What's the word I need to use to catch. Them? And then they just like fall. It's like, fuck, I just, it's just made a fucking bubble. <laughs> Why don't I just make a bubble? You're, you're trying to remember what the name for a catcher's mitt is, but you can't. So then you have to construct a Green Lantern phone to look up what the name of that thing is that you <laughs> use to catch balls. And then you're like, oh, it's called the catcher's mitt. Catcher's mitt at that point, the person is a splatter on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the idea of like a giant, uh, not yellow pages, but green pages. And you're flipping through <laughs> to catch, 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 catch. Oh, catcher's mitt. Great. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> you have to construct a dictionary, an encyclopedia, a thesaurus. <laughs> well, we do see Kyle do that in a couple comics, where like the other Green Lanterns are fighting, and he's holding back, and he's constructed a giant pencil to sketch out his idea before he constructs it. And I'm like, that is exactly what I would do all the time. Yes. <laughs> Someone else handles the bulk of the work and I'll come in with this unnecessarily abstract idea. It's like, see, this is, this is what I'm thinking. I constructed Ursula because they're just going to take the villain's legs away and that's how we're going to stop them. It's like, we already, they're already in handcuffs, Cameron. You, you, your brain goes from A to like Q just to figure out what construct you're going to do while everyone else just goes straight for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cameron, please don't become a superhero. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. We'd be, we'd be so screwed. Also, don't become a mutated psionic psychopath and make the world into a 90s sitcom. Although, that said, they don't ask anybody. They don't find out. They literally just take him out and then destroy the world. And then they're like, oh, we didn't realize there were actually real people here. And then they, like, they just have to kind of like humbly go, sorry, we broke your world. Yeah. No, no, yeah. it's good. We're our, glad our you bad. did that. <laughs> yeah. No, it turns out what you did was good. Oh, okay, good. Whew. That, that was kind of an odd moment. Like, you know, after the, yeah, the, the Justice Guild realizes what Ray is and decides that they'll, they'll team up with Justice League to defeat him, even if it means erasing themselves from existence. Like, you kind of feel like that's just where it's going to end. And then, yeah, they have all the townspeople come out and be like, oh, yeah, like, I've been pretending to drive that milk truck for the last 40 years. And do you feel like they kind of added that to give the episode, like, some sense of hope? Like, oh, this world can rebuild itself? But it doesn't really make any sense, right? Like, It made it way darker for me. Right, yeah. Like, Well, because that's how we showed the kid was racist. That was a necessary <laughs> scene, that he only knows stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because, <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, it's weird. It's like, it's a, like all those other people survived Fallout 2 and didn't get mutated, but haven't... And also didn't age. Yeah, haven't aged or changed at all in the last 40 years? That yeah, was a perfect I, idealized I think that world. Been, yeah. I, I think that would have been the sadder flip of this, is the people come back and they're like, oh, we've been brainwashed. But then you, like, see them in their old form... Of like, oh, right, now we're 40 years older than we were. And I guess now we can kind of start to rebuild. Ish. <laughs> I can lift a brick. That is the strength of my 79-year-old body. I mean, we could also... Let, let's say he was get, granting them immortality. Like, he was keeping this world in, like, some sort of nostalgia bubble. Yeah. A, but... A frozen in time, Yeah. Mm. But there were also, and, and there were some, like, definitely construct people. Like, I don't think the, the bus full of nuns were real. Like, I don't think those were real people. But he was definitely, like, making giant robots and blowing things up, and the villains were definitely doing bad things. How many people were there in the town, do you think, at the beginning of the 40 years, that got <laughs> kind of killed by the constant stream <laughs> of villainy that was happening? It's a very good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, in that in that point, I was thinking about at the beginning when we first when we first introduced everybody, the building's about to fall on Ray. Mm -hmm. What if Flash didn't save him? What if he just oh, like, can yeah. he be crushed by his own constructs? Would he have gotten like yeah knocked out and then the whole world would have disappeared around him? 
Yeah. I think this has happened Which before. Which is then a whole other mystery that they have to figure out. Yeah. I also like the idea of that happens. Ray resets the world. He goes and puts the heroes back in their box. And he just goes, assembles the townspeople and shouts them, we're going to do this again. <laughs> and we're going to get it right this time. Line back up. <laughs> okay. We're sorry, sir. Take two, motherfuckers. We're going All again. Right. If 40 years you can't get it right, we'll just have to do 40 more. Like, I could yeah. totally be- believe that this has happened. Like, Ray has gotten, like, knocked unconscious by insisting he be in the middle of the action. And when that happens, the entire world disappears except for the same townspeople. Like, wait, are, are we free? Are we finally free? And then as soon as Ray wakes back up, he puts it all back together and they're right back where they were. Like, oh, god damn it. Which is like, they didn't kill Ray. Is Ray going to wake back up and reset the world again? Yeah, that's the thing is he's just knocked unconscious. He's still there. Just chilling. Like, I, I guess they had to find some way to make it seem semi-helpful, but I feel like there's really no version of this where the Justice League leaves and this place isn't just continued to be a terrible, terrible place to live. Yeah, yeah. where are they going to get find food in the dust? Yeah. Have they eaten at all this entire time? Mm. Has it just been, you know, Siren making cupcakes for the entire town for the last 40 years? Honestly, probably. Yes. Yeah. It's probably true. She's well, very so, good, but she cannot make a souffle. No. It's her, it's her kryptonite. It's her culinary kryptonite. <laughs> I get it. Souffles are hard. Well, yeah. also she, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a siren call thing. Nice. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because we also have to think about, is Ray the only one with powers from the nuclear fallout? Like, do any of these other people have, like, are they all just immortal beings from this, from surviving the fallout? That would really suck if... Everyone else was granted exclusively immortality, and Ray was the only one who then also was like horribly mutated into this like grotesque, almost Modoc like looking little thing with powers. Mm-hmm. Like, no wonder he decided to create a fake world. Like, that would be real, real shit. It's it's a, it's one of those weird comic book things that always comes out. Like, oh, you 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 saved my life to thank you. I give you the gift of immortality, or you've doomed this this uh, this empire to fall. Therefore, I curse you with immortality. <laughs> What? Yeah, it's like it sucks. No one wants to be immortal. No. No. Well, hang on. What are the rules of immortality? Like, do I just like immediately become immortal in this moment, and I stay exactly as I am for the rest of my life? Because if so, I want to defer for like three months to hit the gym hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, That that will weirdly also come up on a future Justice League episode. (laughs) Weirdly, the same Justice League episode that I've already referenced. I can't wait we finally realize that's the episode you were talking about. And however many <laughs> weeks or months, like, oh, my God, this was the one. It's going to be great. I don't think it's this season. Okay. It might be. No, it's definitely not. Okay. Everything's fine. <laughs> so fine. Everything's fine. There is, there's a moment I want to bring up very briefly that's in the, before they even go to the parallel world where they're still fighting Lex's robot. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lex's version of Ultron. Yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. his his version of a uh, of an Evangelion machine. Yeah. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Where it's Superman and Batman are the last two left. Sans Wonder Woman, who's nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and Superman rips open the back. And it's like Batman, you only have one shot at this, and he throws a battering, and it blows up the the inner core. Superman didn't need to do that. Batman <laughs> didn't need to be there. That was him showing how great of a team player he is superman yeah. could have easily lasered it punched it 
I'm sure his punches are much more impactful than a batarang. This is the problem when your friends pay for everything is you feel like you have to include them in stuff. And it's it's the, the league like meeting before we go fight this robot. It's like, hey, Superman, like, Batman has to actually do the final punch or like he might defund the, the watchtower for a couple months. Like, can you just like <laughs> give him this one? See, it's like, that, yeah, that I know. Is... I know we have to. That is one way of looking at it. I choose to look at it is that is actually the work of Batman gaslighting the rest of the Justice League for years into thinking they need him. <laughs> that <laughs> like, is also a great idea. Like he he has through very uh, subtle long form manipulation convinced him that he has to be the one to like get the final shot in there that they need him for everything. Obviously, part of that is him manipulating them because Cameron, to your point, he pays for everything because they know they need him. But it's all his work doing that like he intends them to come to these conclusions they are not doing it out of the kindness of their heart i also like cameron's idea of like guys we got to get batman to help us on this one remember that time we didn't wait for him to go get his bat jet and then he forgot to empty the 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 watchtower septic tank for a month (laughs) just let him do this okay we it's fine we gotta yeah it's like hey i'm imagining him gaslighting like hey superman how many times does the villain get up after you punch them? Like, it's not yeah. as strong as you think. But, like, when I throw my Batarang, they all, like, I can't tell you the number of times we've won the day because I threw a Batarang. It's like, <laughs> if you look at these two together, it seems that I'm pretty necessary. <laughs> I hit 100% of my targets with the Batarang. But, so, you know, like, you're right, Cameron. Like, we had this whole, like, intro thing with, with Lex and his, his robot, and then they get they get kind of teleported in like how do you guys feel about the like in-universe justification for the way this all works right so like you know there's the pseudoscience of just like the flash's powers interacting with the core that teleports them oh i'm i'm a i i'm a sucker for a multiverse explanation like anytime <laughs> they pull out because it's always they always pull out a whiteboard yes and anytime like fuck like fucking give it to me man <laughs> give me that diagram that you draw every time since 1986 like, i this like is this I... diagram where like they have the three sections and it's a squiggly line but it's a different kind of squiggly line right, in yeah. Each section. yeah exactly i loved that i i'm such a sucker for multiverse explanations <laughs> just put it in every episode and i will be very happy yeah because it's like oh every world like you know fluctuates at its own frequency and you guys like you know vibrated ours you got teleported here and the and the reason you remember these you know us as uh, comic book characters is because that writer had some weird subconscious telepathic link to this universe and it's all so silly and so comic booky, and it's all just like thrown away in one line and I'm like this is perfect this is exactly what i want out of my cartoons yeah. that said if i were like redoing this again and mm-hmm. i wasn't necessarily trying to do the justice society of america i probably would lean into like the super friends nature of it and mm-hmm. instead of it being five separate characters that are kind of like knockoff versions yeah i would literally have it be Hi, I'm the Green Lantern, and I am the Green Lantern. It's just, it's the same, it's the 50s Super Friends versions of themselves. It, it's its almost like that moment in the, the post-credits of End of the Spider-Verse, right? When Spider-Man 2099 yeah. like, faces like the 1960s version. Like, it's just all of the, uh, the our version of Justice League, like, talking to the Super Friends version that speaks in, like, their own, like, weird cadence and dialogue and, like, stilted manners. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> Well, did, I, did either of you watch uh, Teen Titans vs. Teen Titans Go? Yeah, obviously. Uh, okay. Yes. 
Yeah. Cause I mean, that, that is, that is the reverse version of this where mm-hmm. it's the, the very stoic, serious 2003 slash five teen Titans meeting the teen Titans go team. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just like and Robin making it. sound effects for his bike <laughs> and, and cyborg, you know, only using his arm as an amp and not a, not a weapon. <laughs> Did you even save the city? We saved room for dessert. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, my, my favorite part of all of that is that like every version of Robin they come across is sexier than the last. And they just keep talking about yeah. that. <laughs> and the Teen Titans go Robin just feels like so slighted because he's not as sexy <laughs> with his little hands. I forgot about that. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, and another line that I loved uh, is when they they get a phone call about i think this is about the blimp uh it's like oh yeah the the bank has just been robbed and they're getting away on a blimp and uh tom turbine tim turbine what the fuck is his name again tom turbine tom tom turbine says only they would commit such a heinous act and on a sunday (laughs) yeah like that is oh beautiful no no no. the streak says that (laughs) oh yes yes oh yeah (laughs) which like for all the talking that tom turbine did apparently the streak was the leader Okay, yeah, I guess, I guess Tom Turbine was closer to like the was closer to a Manhunter or to Martian Manhunter than I, I mean I know he's supposed to be Superman, but he's I like the thinking... smart one as well. He's the scientific one. Yeah, he was the uh, the the not uh, it's a I'm a doctor, not a blank, Jim. That guy. Oh, he's the McCoy, the Bones. Yeah, he's the McCoy. Yeah, like he so he's supposed to be a proxy of the Golden Age version of the Atom, and it's also the golden age version of Superman. Like there's a little bit of crossover between those two. Like he, mm-hmm. he has the le- like he's the least direct pullover. Right. Cause obviously you get, you know, green guardsman is the Alan Scott green lantern. Um, mm-hmm. the, the streak is golden age flash. Jay Garrick, black siren is black canary. Catman is a combination of wildcat and golden age Batman. But yeah, the, Tom turbine is like the one kind of slightly original character they threw in there. Cause he's also like the, the scientist, the inventor. He's the one who's built this potential, gateway door thingy that they can go back through to get to their own universe. But yeah, I guess you're right. I guess he's not the leader. I guess that's just the street. Yeah, and, and for being the kind of most original character of the group, I find it interesting that that's the first one we meet where like, it feels like, I mean, it, it's smart writing because it feels like we're in a new world mm-hmm. and there's another hero slash villain who has a new power we haven't seen before. And it's like, Oh, we have to stop these. And then you start to trickle in. It's like, Oh wait, that's, we know that we know who that is like that's that's flash right no yeah that's that's green lanterns like oh okay it's the justice league actually yeah that's a really good point i hadn't thought about that that is a good point but yeah by by introducing him first it allows us to yeah to to maintain the illusion before we start going like wait isn't that isn't that just the flash like yeah 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 he's isn't that the good guy with a nuclear reactor on his tummy so yeah safe. <laughs> the best Everything's possible okay. superpower yeah yeah <laughs> but you know i I love that, you know, they're, they're, you know, your point about them getting like the call on the Sunday of like anytime someone is close to figuring out the reality of what's going on, they're just called off to some new disaster. Right. And like a lot of the, a lot of the crimes are like kind of benign in some ways. It's like, yeah, obviously like don't steal like, you know, the Wright brothers, Kitty Hawk, but also like, it's not a, a violent crime where people are really in danger. Um, but I also love that was this- a super mobile biplane or oh, whatever yeah. biplane that yeah. was. <laughs> That thing was way more like um, easily pilotable than the actual Kitty Hawk was way back in the day. (laughs) 
But, you know, I, I love the random things that happen around the city to, like, stop anyone from discovering the truth. Uh, my favorite of which is when the bus full of nuns was careening towards the, so the truck good. full of TNT <laughs> that had its brakes cut. It's just like, you know, even the Flash comments, like, seriously? This? <laughs> like, really? This is happening? But it's it's so it's so on the nose. And to me, it reminds me of... Um, one of my favorite moments in all of cinema, which is the 1960s Batman movie, when Batman has like the oversized bomb and he's trying to get rid of it and he's running all around the pier trying to find a place to throw it. And like he can't because there's, you know, a, a couple in a boat making out or there's a line of duckies. Or my favorite thing is he goes up a ramp and there's a couple of nuns walking towards him. So he spins around and goes back the other way. It's like that is the sort of shit that happened in like the 60s era comics and TV shows <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, isn't this just a metaphor for our media cycle, though? Anytime we start to get close to something bad, they're like, what's Kim Kardashian doing? She's throwing a party with her friends. Uh, look, it's a hologram of her dad. Uh-oh. <laughs> These wacky celebs. <laughs> look, a distraction. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun, this episode. I thought it had a great cliffhanger moment in the, in the first part when Hawkgirl, like, mm-hmm. lands in the cemetery and sees the graves. And you're like, holy fuck, like, where is this going? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like sometimes I forget what it was like to see these when they originally aired. Um, and I, I think most of them I end up TiVoing, so I got to watch them like back to back. I didn't watch them, you know, with gaps in between. But it's like that's a pretty great cliffhanger to leave on, knowing you're not going to get an answer for another week. Yeah, no, I I I watched it and then had to wait a week because like it was always the Saturday night tune block or whatever, yeah. and it was just like I, oh no, and then just like waiting a week and like like what's going to happen. But I forgot like, this was yeah this was Cartoon Network Saturday nights. I forgot that this mm-hmm. was a night show, not, yeah. not part of the yeah B lineup. Like the Bruce Tim stuff bounced around because Batman the animated series I watched on Cartoon Network, but uh, I feel like I remember watching Batman Beyond on Kids WB. Yes, Beyond and Static, and I think Zeta were all Kids WB. Yeah, well, yeah. Justice League JLU, uh, Batman Superman were all. Mm-hmm. Cartoon well, Network. Well, yeah, so Saturday nights. BTOS was Fox way back in the day. Oh, yes. And then right. Superman was Kids WB, and then they brought back the new Batman Adventures. And then, yeah, Static, and I'm pretty sure Zeta and Batman Beyond were all Kids WB. And then by the time they got to Justice League, they had switched over to Cartoon Network and did that for Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. But then I think at that yeah. point, Cartoon Network was doing reruns on a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was what was that lineup? Because that was pre tsunami. I mean, I'm sure there were like just some anime things in there too. Like, you oh, throw I'm sure. In, yeah, I'm sure there's some Haka Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Zs, and whatnot. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either because it's been almost 20 years. Good point. <laughs> Speaking of things that have been almost 20 years, like when the villains are standing in the cave and they're like, "Ah, oh, well, we've figured out what our crime is going to be." I kept expecting this moment, but I realized it's from The Simpsons. In the the McBain movie, where like all the oh. villains are there and they hold up their champagne glasses and go, "Gentlemen, too evil," <laughs> and I just kept expecting that, and it never happened. Honestly, and I realized. But you're right. Totally, it would have perfectly fit in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're they're all just like you know pastiches of those kind of characters. Of course, it totally would have fit there. <laughs> no, and like. 
I think um, like the the one thing we haven't touched on, which I think is probably actually also my favorite mm. thing about this uh, this episode, and I think kind of the emotional hook of all of it is like this is at the end of the day, it's a Green Lantern episode because mm-hmm. one, we get to figure out that he was a total comic book nerd, which is just awesome. Like you know, Green Lantern, John Stewart, this like super cool, tough, serious, badass guy, former Marine, you know, also grew up a huge comic book nerd. And the fact that, like, that is part of his character makes him just feel that much more interesting. Um, but also, like, he's really emotionally affected by, you know, the realization that, you know, not only were these people real once, but, you know, the sacrifice they made and then the sacrifice they make again to save the world. Like, you know, we often think of him as being this very stoic character, but, you know, in his own way, he really, like, does carry his heart and his feelings on his sleeve. Like, he's very reactive to things that you, in a way that you wouldn't kind of expect from someone who's otherwise very serious. I think, like, especially for, even for both Justice League shows, like, he's kind of one of the characters that goes through the most emotional stuff. Oh, yeah. And I don't like. I don't know if that's why I connected to him most when I was a kid, or if it was just because I really liked the color green. But Fair. like, he was always my favorite. Yeah. No. Like even after having watched Batman and Superman and everything. And and I think I think you're onto something there because you know I think you kind of go into a show like this even if you're you know weren't watching you know Beatles Superman before this like everyone knows who Batman and Superman are. We've all had experience with them. We've seen the movies or we've seen them in Super Friends something like that. You know, and this show is such a good, does such a good job about bringing these other characters you don't know. And yeah, I think John gets kind of like the most emotional weight. And you know, we'll we'll get into a big part of that. Of course, is going to be the Just League finale and, and Starcross, one of the best episodes in the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that plays a lot into it. But yeah, he he does go through like this pretty intense emotional roller coaster. And in a lot of ways, he feels the most real of all of them. I think that kind of comes with him being the midpoint between Superman and Batman, Mm -hmm. where both of them, they've had a decade of history before this on TV. They can't really break out of that box anymore. They're very typecast characters. Superman's always going to be the the Boy Scout. Batman's always going to be doing his thing. Mm -hmm. But now John can be the serious one. He can also be a detective it can also kind of have this Superman backstory of like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just a guy who liked comics. You know, I did my thing, and now I'm where I am. You know, he, he gets to fill that range that the other two are kind of stuck at the ends of. Actually, yeah, that's that's a good point. Like, he's kind of yeah. the, the center point of all of them, right? Like, he has a little bit of all of the other, you know, Characters, I think they're all pushed a little bit more towards, yeah, your, your point, like, you know, a certain kind of iconography or a certain type of, like, um, personality or stereotype, and he's just a little bit of all of them. Except for Flash. He, but he, he, yes. he cracks a Who's joke every once hero? in a while. I will say yeah. that. Like, he, he, he's, you know, he'll, he'll throw in a joke or a pun every, on occasion. But yeah. most of the time, you're right, yeah, he's just annoyed at the Flash. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to have that. Is there any, anything else on this episode you guys want to talk about? Because um, I definitely do want to mention the, uh, the voice cast at some point. Tell, tell us about the voice cast. Besides Neil Patrick Harris, who else is going right. to surprise so, us Right, so, you know, here? besides Neil Patrick Harris, of course. Uh, is we, Tom Turbine Nathan Fillion or something? Uh, no, so Tom Turbine is Ted McGinley, who um, most people will know as Dr. Cox on Scrubs. Oh, oh shit. that's awesome. Yes. Amazing. Wait, who would then later come back to voice the Atom? Uh, oh, is that? 
Yeah, that's Dr. Cox. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he also voices the Adam later on. Yeah. No, he's... That's fantastic. He's fantastic. Uh, great actor. Great voice actor. Um, you know, so it's it's fun to see... Wait, I, I do have that right, right? Ted McGinley... It, John C. McGinley is Dr. Cox. I don't know who Tom... Oh, shit. Okay, no, no, no. Sorry. I, I have that wrong. Te- yeah, I'm thinking of John C. McGinley. No, this is Ted McGinley, um, who... He Oh, he looks familiar. He's an 80s actor. Yeah, I think he was in Revenge. Oh, fuck. He's um he's the the bully in Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. Oh, that's okay, yeah, that's right. He's what? yes. He yeah, he's the bully in Revenge of the Nerds. He was on Married with Children for a long time. He was like the I think the second husband to like the neighbors or whatever. Yeah, if you look him up, you'll you'll recognize his face. But thank you, you're right. I was getting my McGinleys confused. <laughs> How dare I? But no, so he's Tom Turbine. Um, Michael McKean, he is, yeah, sportsman. And then also uh, Shar- S- Sergeant O'Shaughnessy. Sergeant O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> um, of course, like Michael McKean, like very famous comedy actor, Mr. Green and Clue. He pops up in tons of stuff everywhere. Um, uh, Jeffrey Jones, who was the dad in Beetlejuice, is uh, the magician villain, Sir Swami. Um, oh, Steve- no. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones... The less said about him, the better. Yeah, um, don't look it up. Don't, yeah, he's a horrible, horrible person who tragically has, like, two very, like, major roles in pop culture because of Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Beetlejuice, but he's fucking awful. Um, but on the much more positive side, Stephen Root, who's another fantastic character actor. Like, if, you know, he was the, uh, the, the nerdy guy with the stapler in Office Space. Like, he plays every, like, you know, quite nerdy guy you've seen in any movie. He's the voice of Catman. Um, Jennifer Hale, who does a whole bunch of voice work. A lot of it in the DCAU is Black Siren. Um, same with Corey Burton, who does a lot of voice work. He's uh, Dr. Blizzard. Um, but my personal favorite, though, is Music Master, is voiced by the great Udo Kier. And if you don't know who he is, if you just do like a Google image search, you will see his face and you will recognize him. He is in... Oh, fuck. He is in everything. If there is ever like a creepy old German man in something, that is Udo Kier. Oh, he has 270 credits on IMDb yeah. for acting. I, I honestly, I don't even know where to begin to try and like pull reference points. Like, you know, he, he's in blade. Um, he's in, I don't, I would have to like do a genuine, like very serious scroll through his work. Um, but he's absolutely one of those like, Oh, I I've seen this guy's face. I've heard this guy's voice at a billion places. Um, he's fantastic. And I love that he's voicing music Meister, which is just so so bizarre it's fantastic <laughs> in his clarinet car yes oh my uh, god that's so good <laughs> i i drive one it looks fun i'd do it yeah and then sportsmaster gets away in just a truck yeah exactly hey no more sportsman it's, like he's driving a giant truck there's nothing in the back his prize is in the front seat with him, but he's driving a truck. Well, he needs to. He's a sports guy. He's got to drive a truck. You know. And, like, the magician guy, like, either he does random, like, card tricks and makes doves appear, or he shoots lasers out of his wand, or brings to life a satellite. <laughs> I don't know what his magic is, but that is some Zatanna-level shit. Hey, you know, he's got a very broad power spectrum that, you know, is perfect for evil. So yes. he, he's in the right business, I think, at the end of the day. 
All right, well, I think that takes care of uh, Legends, so why don't we go ahead and mosey on into our bat plugs for the week. And uh, Sam, as our guest of honor, uh, what is your plug for the week? What have you been watching, reading, or listening to? Well, my big quarantine thing I've been watching is, like, I've been watching all, like, the British panel show things. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so good. They're so they're good. They're so like, good. I, binged through Taxmaster and like I, I I don't know where I can find season 10 and it's driving me nuts I had to watch season 9 on CW it's gross um, but like I, yeah I've watched all those I've basically watched everything YouTube has to offer for those shows and it's it's killing me um, but like but because Cameron's brought that up before I wanted to recommend Infinity Train oh my god it's so good holy it's shit so good oh my god so Infinity Train is uh, so it's an animated show that's on HBO Max, and uh, I listened to an interview where they're like, "Yeah, we wanted to make kind of something like Over the Garden Wall," and they did, and it's great because Over the Garden Wall is also amazing. Um, but basically, Infinity Train is this girl gets uh, uh, like uh, her parents are going through divorce, and she ends up like she's running away trying to get to uh, camp, and then she ends up stumbling onto this train, which is an infinite train. And it's like every single compartment is its own universe. And it's amazing. And the show's so good. And there's three separate seasons. And they're all so different. And it's great. And everyone should watch it so I can talk about it with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It is absolutely amazing. Well, I- and I don't want to tell you more about it because I want you to discover the show as you're watching it. Because it's one of those shows that, like, I mean, there are spoilers. But it's one of those shows where the less you know going into it, the better. Better, okay. Well, but I- it's... Amazing. As the only person now on this this podcast who has not seen, I guess the the impetus is on me to go and watch it, which I will go to this week. I will I will start yeah, watching. I, it. I think when I when I first pitched pitched it to you, Chris, I'll I'll introduce one other character, and it is her trusty sidekick, the King of the Corgis. <laughs> I ha- I, now I have to. Now I have yes. to. My my love for corgis is one of my greatest loves in this world. So. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's a super fast binge. I watched all three seasons in three days, and that was me pacing myself. Oh, damn. Because it's every season is 10 episodes, and each episode is like 10, 15 minutes long. It's like 12, like 11 minutes long. My God, yeah, that's it's amazing. It's very digestible. Oh, I, I love that. Like, because I've been watching DuckTales, and I've been going through it pretty quickly. And I love Ooh. the show. It's super fun, but it's also like 25 episode seasons. I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> but they're also good. They are good, but it's a lie. Uh,. <laughs> For, for Sam, so you've watched Taskmaster. Have you done um, uh, Pointless yet? Have you gotten into that show? No, I haven't. Pointless is a it's a reverse um, Family Feud trivia show. And they have oh, two versions. Oh, is that they have the one that uh, Victoria Cora Mitchell hosts? Uh, no, it's uh, Alexander and uh, Richard from season four of oh, Taskmaster. You are going to find oh, this Richard really Osmond. funny. Yes. The, I have two YouTube tabs open right now, and one of them is uh, an episode. Yeah, I, I literally just watched an episode of that because Alex Horn was on for one of them. I was like, oh, Alex Horn oh, is yeah. on a show. Oh, with Richard Osman. That's great. I literally watched an episode of it this morning for the first time. It's great. Yeah, so there's a celebrity version and then a normal version, and both are great. Obviously, the celebrity okay. version is more fun to watch, but... Both like I feel like I've learned so much, and <laughs> it being a British show, a British trivia show specifically, they have a lot of like American trivia questions, which are very easy for us. Yeah, but it's fun to watch British people struggle on American geography. <laughs> fair, very fair. Good. 
I, I will add that to the list of what to distract myself with next. Yes, it's it's great. And it, it goes on forever. There's that. And then QI, I would also recommend. Yeah, I mean, I've watched all the QI that I can find. I've watched yes. all the Would I Lie to You, all the 8 out of 10 cats mm-hmm. does Countdown. Great, yeah. Because uh, the, the one that got me into all this was um, uh, Never Mind the Buzzcocks. And I've never been a big, like, music knowledge person, but just, like, watching all the different, like, British celebrities bounce off each other was always, like, my favorite thing. And yeah, that show's not even the, on the air anymore. There's such a, like, unique um, bond between British comedians slash celebrities that I feel like is not the same in America. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And actually, yes. the, the only thing that is closest to that was the thing I wrote in weeks ago was the... Uh, uh, the nerd, uh, um, uh, the nerd show where you correct the question. Um, I'm actually, I'm um, actually, yeah. Where I'm um, actually, because like it, no one cares who wins. It's just nerdy people hanging out with each other and doing a fun thing. Like, yeah. like that is the closest American comparison that I could, that I, that I found. Also, I just feel like you just described this show of like nerdy people talking about things and hanging out together and no one wins. Yes, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> must be why must be why I like this show. Yeah, there are no and winners in this experience. <laughs> one last very short point on on British shows and game shows because I've also been very obsessed with them over the past quarantine, um, <laughs> the past seventeen years of quarantine. Um, the prizes are so much smaller than American prizes. Like yeah. for for pointless, you win like two thousand pounds. Uh, and there's something so much nicer about like, oh, how like you're about to win two thousand pounds. Like, what are you gonna do with that money? It's like, oh, me and my husband are gonna go on a nice trip, a nice trip across somewhere, and just like hang out together. And there's such like less stakes compared to American shows. It's like, what are you gonna do with the money? You're about to win fifty thousand dollars. Like, oh, my dad's in the hospital. My daughter's about to go to college, and I'm trying to decide how I want to split the money between the two. Like, I don't, I don't want to know that. I want to know, like, I'm about to go blow it in one-handed cards yeah. in Vegas. Like, that's so much more relatable. <laughs> well, because like, I won this game show, I don't have to sell meth to save my family. I yeah. mean, you watch. I've been watching American Ninja Warrior, and it's like I really want to win that money so I can cure my cancer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, what a place and time we live. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, what about you? What have you been watching, listening, reading? Uh, so I get the impression that maybe Cameron, you were doing the same thing this week, but I was uh, doing a Halloween binge, catching up on a lot of my favorite Halloween movies. Um, and so I was trying to figure out which one amongst all of them I wanted to uh, highlight the most. Halloween Town? I did not watch Halloween Town. I actually. You re- didn't watch Halloween? Chris! I, I've never seen it. I actively refuse <gasps> to because it's a DCOM. And not because DCOMs are shitty, but How frankly, because DCOMs are dare- shitty. <laughs> How dare you? I will bring Smart House DVDs to your home <laughs> and you will watch it and be like, yeah, this is a shitty movie, but it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Phantom of the Megaplex is genuinely a good movie. It has uh, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> honestly, uh, other other than. Like God, you're a monster. Other, other than like movies from the animated shows, so like you know, like the Kim Possible movie or whatever, I don't think I've ever seen a single decom. I think. I don't know how we've remained friends for this long. And I don't know how you, as a family, found one thing, even just one thing, to do every month to look forward to. Oh, we just did our own separate thing. We never hung out together. 
Yeah, I, mine too. Except for this one time a month when we came together oh. and watched a movie about a girl who could talk to horses. I mean that, and then several months later, about the other movie about the girl who could talk to horses. Well, Chris, uh, I it, skipped my mom's wedding when she married my stepfather because it was the same weekend of High School Musical two. Oh, I know you've told that story, and that <laughs> just says more about you than it does me. So. <laughs> I am fine living in my decom ignorance. Um, but okay, I think of all of the ones I'm going to plug, I think I'm going to go for Sleepy Hollow because I had never seen that before. Okay, so, the Tim- 2002 remake. No, so the 1999 Tim Burton film. That one. Yes. Yeah, that, that year. Um, I'd never seen it, but I generally like Tim Burton stuff. I, th- I think maybe of late, it's maybe not been quite as on form, but I think when he is on form, I do really enjoy his stuff. And... I was very pleasantly impressed by it. Um, I thought that, you know, the, you know, the story's fun and it's kind of like, you know, a, a murder mystery of like, oh, who's killing all these people? Everyone says the Headless Horseman, but like, is he real? Is he not? That's all played out there. I thought Johnny Depp was great of playing like this very cowardly character through the whole thing. And I'm not always the biggest Depp fan, but I thought he worked really well. But for me, the biggest thing was just like, you know, it was Tim Burton and his style really on point. Like, I think sometimes he can be almost a little bit cartoony and almost starts to dip into, like, self-parody to a degree. Whereas this, despite the, the, the fantastic nature of the movie, felt like one of his more grounded films. Plus, the great thing about watching any movie of this era is, like, the sets are almost entirely real. Like, I'm watching this going, like, oh, like, they built this town. They built mm-hmm. all these forests that they're doing these, like, horse chases through and stuff. And a lot of it is still practical effects. And it looks incredible um, all the way through. And, uh, yeah, it's like the, everything about it was just really impressive. And even the, the little bits of CGI they have in there for 1999 holds up really, really well. Um, you know, so it's obviously weird to now recommend a uh, Halloween film after the end of Halloween. Um, but maybe if you're you're making a list of the Halloween movies you missed this year to uh, to revisit next year, I would absolutely recommend checking out Sleepy Hollow if you haven't already. And if you have, give it a rewatch because it's actually pretty damn solid. So. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> queuing. Is it still on Netflix? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I remember queuing it up last Halloween and. St- Something was happening that day, and I just kept getting distracted. And I don't think I watched more than like five minutes of it. But it's good to know that that you give it a, a positive review. So I do. I'll definitely go back yeah. for it. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a very strong positive review. So, uh, but what about you, Cameron? How many decoms did you watch this week? So, Chris, in in typical fashion, when one of us pitches something fun, the other must pitch something serious. Oh no! And so I I want to plug because it it is. A pretty like it's it's a hard movie to watch right now mm-hmm. in our society, but it is a, a fantastic movie. Uh, I watched the Trial of the Chicago Seven. How is it? Fantastic. Yeah. It um, is like acting wise. Do you have something against it, Sam? Or just I do. Yeah, I do. But it? keep going. Finish. Finish your okay. plug. Well, I know it's it's not entirely accurate. Um, but you know it's it's Andy Sorkin. Aaron, and, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Yes, the great <laughs> coked Sanford. out writer, the great allegedly coked out writer Aaron Sorkin, who legitimately is a great yes. writer. So, um, yeah, and I know it's not entirely historically accurate, but like just seeing this, and also like talking to my mom about it beforehand, like this was her early days of protesting. You know, she was fourteen or fifteen when this 
was actually happening back in 1973. Sorry to age you, mom. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we talked about it afterwards, about, like, watching it versus, you know, living it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's very hard to, to watch in the current climate because it does show, like, how little we've actually progressed as society. But it is, a, like, you know, watch it after the election, maybe. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it. What, what, what is your issue with so, it, Sam? One of the podcasts I listen to is called The Dollop. And oftentimes it's taking like real figures from American history that just have like ridiculous stories and just like telling that story behind it. But he'll also sometimes do deep dives into real political figures, but it's two comedians telling the story back and forth. So it ends up being fun. Mm. Yeah. And the past three episodes have been a three part deep dive into Abby Hoffman. And the reason Mm. why he did that is because the Aaron Sorkin story is not really true to the Abby Hoffman legacy. It is wildly inaccurate, and he points out a lot of the things that he's like, well, Aaron Sorkin kind of did this, but that's not true because what actually happened was this. Abby Hoffman and, was the Sasha Baron Cohen, right? Or is he the, the other one? I'm not sure. He was ever, who, whoever the lead was. Okay, like, whoever yeah, that's, the main that's one Sasha. was. Um, yeah, so the, the two leads are you have Sasha Baron Cohen is kind of the leader of like the hippie side, and then Eddie Redmayne is kind of the leader of the like then Sasha college protesters. Yeah, Sasha yeah. Baron Cohen yeah. plays Abby Hoffman. Okay, uh, and it, it basically, he he also has a podcast basically talking about how dangerous like a lot of Aaron Sorkin things are because it kind of like smooths out the edges of a lot of activism, mm-hmm. and like he like he has a whole other podcast talking about the Western, which I haven't started listening to yet. Um, but basically, like. I would say if you enjoyed the movie, uh, The Magnificent Seven, or uh, the Chicago Seven, excuse me, <laughs> uh, I, I would recommend, <laughs> if they're different, whatever, um, I would recommend listening to now the three-part episode on the dollop about Abby Hoffman that kind of is a little bit more kind of true to who that person was and kind of true to that person's legacy hmm. of... very real very tangible activism Mm -hmm. um because it talks about how aaron sorkin will release a movie like this but then not actually do anything (laughs) yeah that that i can see that yeah Yeah, because that character's introduction specifically is the first scene in the movie is him teaching a class of like what looks like high school college age kids how to make a molotov cocktail oh yeah and that's not and it's it's yeah and that's not what happened at all and is not anything that he did and in fact contributes to the narrative of oh peaceful protests are actually riots by people on the left and not here getting beaten up by people on the right Mm -hmm. so you know yeah i mean the the movie is the the movie is very left focused and it is a lot of um you know, I mean, you, you follow the activists the entire time. Right. And so you, you the, get the podcast specific... talks about like the distinction between liberals and leftists and how liberals yes. often okay. co-opt leftist I- ideology hmm. because liber- I, I don't know. I'm not the political expert here, but like I would say oh, that if you God, enjoyed the movie, I. I would recommend the, the podcast. OK, the, yeah, like, I definitely all three will. Episodes. No, that's that's good. Uh, to on know. the dollop. Is that what it's called? The dollop. Yeah. Okay. And I'll put that in the uh, the the plugs in the show notes too. Because no, that's good to know. Because like I did want to watch that at some point. Because you know I I do like Aaron Sorkin's writing. Recognizing that like he definitely loves to just fantasize and romanticize about things um, in a way that could be like 
satisfying to watch, but yeah, it's not true to life necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good to know. Like, there's a context yeah. to apply as well. So yeah, I'll throw that in there. So. All right. Well, then we'll just kind of wrap things up here with some notes from friends. And we have for our first time ever a live (laughs) notes from friends section because, Sam, you wrote in to us this week to point something out. And so rather than having me read it out loud, which would seem very silly and redundant given that you're here, I'm just going to let you do it yourself on the air. So So I was driving back from Phoenix yesterday. And I was listening to last week's episode, and you spent this entire time fantasizing about, well, what would happen? What would a world be like if she'd actually done this and killed all the men? And at no point in the entire episode do you actually reference the comic book, Why the Last Man? Which yeah. is a comic book. <laughs> Chris, have you read if that? all the men, of all the male mammals on the, in the entire world were killed. I, I'm have gonna, you read that, Chris? I haven't, which is why I'm going to put it on you, because I know you have. I have, <laughs> so it's, I have read it. I've read yeah, so three Sam, of the four issues. My, my defense is I knew of it, but I never read it. Uh, Cameron I had, recommend it. Cameron it's had read great. it and didn't mention it, so I, I think that's ultimately uh, his short-sightedness, not mine. <laughs> it is great. It is a great comic series. I'm ashamed of myself for not even remembering that, that book God, can't. while talking about this. <laughs> There's literally a moment in last week's episode where the, where you two are sitting and listing like, oh, it sure is. I sure am sad that like these like th- like listing dudes you wish you hadn't died. And in like the first issue, there's a moment where Yorick and some woman are sitting there listing the dudes that they wish hadn't died. <laughs> Was Paul Rudd on their list? list? They were listing specifically like bands, oh, but like. Okay. Also, Paul Rudd was in the news this week for handing out cookies for people in line, for, in polling lines in New York. Yeah, just shows oh, I saw that. How what greedy a, is? This, what a great guy! The sweetest, most Paul Rudd thing. I possible. hope he doesn't die. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me I know. too. He's <laughs> the only man I would miss. But anyway, it just I like I, I and I literally sent the message like this is weird that I'm going to be on the show tomorrow, and also you need to know this. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yes, that, that's our bad. That's ultimately what the notes from se- friends section is, is to have other people hold us accountable because we are idiots. <laughs> I don't think you're idiots. <laughs> Most of the time. Most right, of the fair. time. Um, yeah. So thank you, Sam, for, for being our first ever live <laughs> notes from friends. Um, and then uh, along those lines, uh, I just want to do some just some shout outs because we have a handful of people that tend to uh, you know, respond on Inst- uh, Twitter and Instagram throughout the week, usually just messaging thoughts about the episodes and stuff like that, and um, don't always get the acknowledgement. So I just want to say a thank you to uh, Ashley Clark, who is always sending us in messages, but then also uh, Justin Eddins at SuperKid801 on Twitter, who basically every week always responds with some thoughts in the episodes and is super sweet and fun to chat with. Uh, shout out to Pizza and Parsecs, uh, they have a whole podcast network referenced this before because they're very kind and every week they include us in their follow friday and this last week we were like one of the highlighted podcasts which is also incredibly sweet on their part and then also uh one other person g is morning malice uh aka at delicate f alice on twitter who also sends in a lot of lovely messages so uh you know nothing specific from all of them but just a general thank you for all you guys for messaging in so often thanks guys yeah and uh you know (laughs) being a, a definitely a bright spot in my week as i'm posting this stuff so Thank you. 
Um, but if you want to reach out to us, as Sam has done, to point out a, a, a blatant lapse in our pop culture knowledge, uh, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Uh, you can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you go to Instagram, that's where you could find the uh, the tribute I wrote to the late Sir Sean Connery. So yes, it was it was very well written. Thank you. Uh, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. And if you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Neither have been updated since March. Oh God, get on that, man. When this comes out, we will officially have left October. You didn't post anything for October. So. I didn't. And I know your reasons why, but I will still take every opportunity I can to shame you publicly. So. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> yes. Sam, where can we find you? I am on Twitter at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H, or you can follow my podcast, Ideal Remake, on Twitter, but mostly on Instagram at Ideal Remake, or you can join me on Facebook. Um, but yeah, Ideal Remake. You should listen, because it's fun and is interesting, especially if you like are a writer and want to talk about pitching stories and kind of crafting ideas around that. That's kind of what it's for. No, it, it is super fun. Every time I've come on as a guest, it has been an absolute blast. And, you know, the Cameron, you and I have a tendency to, like, try to invent on the spot ways in which a lot of these podcast episodes could be better. Um, it's, I'm going to be honest, way more fun doing it with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, fine, fine. It's not Does he more, not steamroll you like I do? It's not more fun <laughs> because you're not there. It's more fun because it's like an actual structured conversation around making these episodes better rather than us just like spinning our wheels and making me have to edit for longer. <laughs> Yeah. Oh well. yeah. You like it because I have to edit it. Honestly, <laughs> it's like my favorite thing now to be on a podcast and not have to be responsible for the edit. It's, so. It was pretty great. I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to only having to edit my own podcast this afternoon. I know, right? It makes things so much easier. But no, uh, you know, uh, a, a perpetual bat plug for Ideal Remake. Uh, it's a great show, Sam, and uh, it's always fun to be a part of it. So. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you for joining us for this. Um, so glad we could have you for the third time, right? Yes? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe the third. Okay. <laughs> Woo, Sam, Sam. Oh, the audience is back. That's so weird. <laughs> Sam, we love you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, they're back. They're back. The studio audience <laughs> is back. They got through that voting line real quick. Yeah, man. It's pretty quick out here in California. Yeah, everyone voted early. That's why. Uh <laughs> Yeah, as they should. Uh, but no, Sam, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on here to, uh, to talk about Legends. And, uh, you know, Cameron and I will be back next week for the next two-part episodes of Justice League, which will be A Night of Shadows, parts one and two. We're going to get some Morgan Le Fay. I'm sure Cameron <gasps> is already Etrigan? going Etrigan? crazy with excitement. Yes, we're getting we're getting oh, some Etrigan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, get your limericks ready. We've got some Etrigan next week. So, uh but until then, uh, thank you again, Sam. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys. Uh, bye. Oh, and a Michael Bay movie that's good is, Mike, is Pain and Game. <laughs> I remember that. All right, bye. <laughs>